From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 126. Today's show is brought to you by Encapsula, FreshBooks, and Blue Apron. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I am very well, sir. How are you? Very good. Uh, you know, good to good to have a weekend. Played some played some board games with the family. Went mm. to, uh, saw a live podcast. Mm. Just exciting, you know. Podcasts sometimes are presented live before a, before an audience. I know. I'm taking one on tour. <laughs> I I saw that. I heard about that. I heard yeah. about that. I, I went to the Hello from the Magic Tavern. They were at the San Francisco Sketchfest, and uh, oh yeah, I saw them in Anaheim. But uh, it, you know, it was fun. So we went and and saw them again. It was just you know driving to the city, watch a podcast for an hour, and coming out, uh, there was an ATP shirt. The guy was walking out with an ATP shirt, and I told my wife, look, Amazing. it's an ATP shirt. He's one, one of us. And as I'm saying this, I turn around, and the guy is standing there looking at me, and he says, I just wanted to say I'm a really big fan, and I like what you do. Hello, that person, if you're out there. And I said, and I had this moment, and my wife just starts laughing, by the way, Lauren. just She just starts laughing at me, basically. Um, and I say, I say to him, are you serious? Or do you say that to people and see if they react? Because it would be very easy for somebody to be like, oh, yes, of course, my things that I do. Thank you. He's like, no, no, six colors. I know. I, I was like, all right, well, thank you very much then. But it was just a funny moment of like, I did have that thought that that would be a thing you could do to people. Am I being punked right just, now? Is just walk right up to them and say, <laughs> I love what you do <laughs> and see what they say. It's like, oh, Con- congratulations. So I'm an oh, insurance salesman. <laughs> I love your insurance. You sell the Congratulations on what? I don't even know. But yes, thank you. I'm very excited about it myself. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, that, that Lauren was laughing the whole way home. I was was spotted. I can imagine that being Lauren's reaction, actually, to just laugh at you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of hilarious. It is a busy week for you this week, and that is because there is an Apple earnings call on the horizon. It's tomorrow as we record this, right? Yeah, it's Tuesday, the 31st at, uh, well, so the, the results come out at about 1.30 p.m. Pacific time and 19.30 GMT. And uh, how about that? Mm-hmm. I Thank can you. add eight to things. I appreciate um, it. Uh, no, I did it wrong. <laughs> 21.30 GMT. That's it. Yeah. Oh, you couldn't add eight to things then, it I, turns out. You got to add, no, you got to add, you got to add uh, eight to, you got to add two and then, or 12 and then eight. And it's a disaster. I don't know how people you live at Greenwich Mean Time. It's a disaster. 1.30 p.m. at the the only proper time, which is Pacific Cupertino oh, no. time. We've lost Jason, and, everyone. <laughs> That's it for you. You're gone now. You're gone to the to the confusion of time. And uh, <laughs> 2 o'clock is when the, what I'm saying is 2 p.m. standard Cupertino time is when the uh, actual phone call starts. Right, so, yeah, because they release what a, a press release first, right? Something like that, like yeah, a newsroom. Yeah, they, they do it at one thirty. the release comes out and, and sort of trickles out. And it often is on finance sites before it's actually on Apple's own investor website, which is annoying. Um, and then everybody updates their charts, including me. And then at 2, they have the call. And then uh, people, analysts try to do like Jedi mind tricks on Tim Cook to get him to announce future products. And it fails, as always. And uh, usually there are a few interesting things there. So that's a busy, that's a busy afternoon. Only because it's a rare chance for us to peer inside of Apple's um, 
inner workings and, you know, what we get is a combination of what's mandated legally and what they are, you know, choosing to say in order to um, explain what they're doing and where they're going uh, to specifically to the financial industry, but also just to the world as a whole. So what are we looking out for with this? I mean, the forecasts that Apple gave for the Q3 call, because this is the Q4 call where they report on the fourth quarter of 2016. So yeah, the, the holiday, the holiday quarter. quarter. The forecast that they gave um, suggested a return to year-over-year growth, right? So mm-hmm. that they would be basically starting the calendar year 2017 in a better position to how they started calendar year 2016. Yeah, their 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 forecast is literally, and they do the forecast the previous quarter. They say, "Here's what we think will happen next quarter." Their forecast was for the biggest single quarter in Apple history, because it's it was seventy six to seventy eight billion, year, isn't it? Yeah. And that's year over year growth. And then keep in keep in mind, last year last year Apple's results were hammered year over year wise because they had such a great twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen didn't measure up. This year they get to reap that a little bit in that their year-over-year comparison is 2016 <laughs> and well, not I, 2015. Yeah, I guess we will we will learn on this call if 2015 really was the anomaly year in full, right? Like when they give their forecasts for the next quarter, if they are up, then we can at that point say that what was referred to by you and many of us as that anomaly year. So like, you know, when you did the graph and you'd see that if 2015 didn't happen, it always would have continued just going up. We will know for sure if that's the case, right? Well, at least we'll have a much better idea because we'll know that Q4 was good and then Q1 2017 will be good as well because they'll give a forecast on that. And um, history has always kind of, well, history, recent history has shown that the Apple is always to their forecasts. They are never less than the forecast. It would be shocking if they didn't make it, which isn't to say they might not, they might miss. Like it's always possible, but I would be surprised because they've never, uh, they they've always been very good mm-hmm. at forecasting. So we'll we'll see what they do. But um, something I'll remind people who don't think like uh, stock market people, which is fine because reality kind of. It's a little like quantum physics. It's like you, common sense doesn't apply. It, 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 people get very upset when uh, Apple announces, let's say, record quarter, b- biggest quarter they've ever had, and the stock price maybe doesn't go up or goes down. People will be like, what do you mean? Um, and you've got to think of it, again, it, it's counterintuitive, but you've got to think of it this way. Apple stock price today is based on the fact that three months ago they said they would have a record quarter this this quarter. So it's already built in. So Apple reporting a record quarter will not have an appreciable impact on no. the stock price because Apple said they would. If they fail or if they dramatically exceed, it might. But if it's in the 76 to 78 billion range, well, that's what they said it would be. That's why the stock is priced the way it is. Um, but what will happen, and this often is the source of Apple's stock price moving around, and I don't own any Apple stock, and I, I you know, uh, people who do, it's great. I don't, I don't care about the apple stock price that's not why i write about apple um but uh their forecast for the next quarter the first fiscal quarter of 2017 in in their uh in their case will be um will be that which is uh what what do we do next 
what do we do next? Um, and also, there are, there are, the there are details market. that can move stuff around, right? Like, the profit might be one thing, but if, if one product or another is not what was expected, it can move stuff around, right? Like, the the stock price took a real big hit when it was kind of hinted at the fact that the iPhone wasn't growing anymore. Yeah, they, they said you sales know? for iPhone were going to be static in the next quarter, and everybody freaked out about that. I should say, also, because the quarter thing lines up, and I, I just mis- misstated something, what we're going to hear is the calendar fourth quarter earnings it's actually apple's first fiscal 2017 quarter so right. they're going to be doing guidance on what happens in the first calendar quarter of 2017 it's actually their q2 2017 quarter coming up very it's, confusing right calendars how do they work i don't mm-hmm. know it's even more confusing than adding time to gmt yeah, thank you for that clarification. So a couple mm-hmm. of other things to, I guess, we'll be keeping our eye on, right? Um, as well as kind of the guidance and whether that's going to hint that we'll be back to year-over-year growth is then when we break down in the product stuff. And I guess two things more critically that we'll be looking out for because I think we'll probably be pretty sure if if, if the money's good, it means the iPhone's good. Um, but outside of that, uh, iPad and MacBook Pro uh what difference can we can we see in the charts that may have come from there? So with the iPad, the hope that it stopped going down. And yeah. we're in the Mac line, if we see growth in the Mac line um, from a revenue perspective, could that be the MacBook Pro? Yeah, iPad, it is. Uh, it has been sort of coasting down and uh, everybody's been waiting for a quarter where it pops back up. So there's that question is like, Okay, it's a holiday quarter. They have to beat the holiday quarter from the previous year. Can they do that? Can they show an increase, a growth in either sales or revenue from iPad for the quarter? Because that would be the first time, and I did the calculation, I forget what it is, like three years, three plus years that they've had a growth quarter for the iPad. And uh, yeah, the Mac numbers, which again, they don't break them out by by model so you have to guess although they will probably make a statement about it my guess is if the mac numbers are up one of the things they'll say is you know powered by some superlative right by record numbers or you know our customers love it and and it's the best you know they'll 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 find some way probably to quantify without uh, actually quantifying the sales number, they will try to characterize the sales in some way. Uh, and, and we'll look at the pure Mac number and see if the Mac number moved and is that attributable to the new MacBook Pro, which was the only, you know, the new MacBook Pros was the only new thing in the quarter. So we'll see. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to kind of see that. I guess, you know, if we see ASP in the Mac line go up, right, we can probably say it's the MacBook Pro yeah. because it's more it was more expensive. Uh so that might be something. Um but, Sure, there are know. ways there are ways to analyze it. But my guess is that if if there's good news there, well, I mean even if there's not good news there, they will try to characterize the MacBook Pro sales and it's always interesting yeah. to hear the way they phrase it because that that goes beyond kind of the mandatory um, that's their kind of spinning the numbers, explaining what is happening, adding more color, like analysts like to have more color. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what they say. And they may be questioned about that as well by by analysts and respond that way, which is sometimes I want to say it's a little more off the cuff. I don't think that's I mean, it is a little more off the cuff. But even then, when they're answering analysts, they're basically sticking if not to a script to specific lines that they and facts that they've agreed that they were willing to talk about 
it is pretty locked down. I mean, this is Apple. They're disciplined. And it's a call as part of a governmental you know mandate as a public company so there's a lot of regulations and you know a misstep can have an effect on the stock price so you know they reveal the stuff they're revealing even in the q a is stuff that they're willing to reveal and they've planned to reveal but um it still can come bring things to light in an interesting way all right we're gonna shift gears a little bit here um and i want to touch on a couple of stories that are in reflection of the current situation politically in the United States of America. If for whatever reason you do not want to listen to that, um, for, you know whether it is upsetting to you or, or, or whatever, uh, you can skip ahead via chapters. So there'll be chapters in the show. You can skip ahead. We're not going to do anything else on follow up this week, and we'll be jumping into topic uh, into our topics right after this. Um, Obviously, the situation in the U.S. right now is a complicated one. Um, it is obviously something that I do not agree with um, in regards to immigration, and so it's it's the, the political stuff is a lot more complex than than I can really explain. But I wanted to kind of just touch on both Apple and Google's responses to this because they're very different responses and they're interesting. Um, so Tim Cook wrote an uh, internal memo kind of regarding his stance on President Trump's executive order on banning immigration from selected Muslim countries. Um, and as we've said in the past, I think any time there is an internal memo to the entire company about something like this, my expectation <laughs> is Apple are also treating this as a way to get the message out wide without making a PR statement. Absolutely. And uh, Tim basically says, you know, in a nutshell, this is not a policy we support. And Apple is providing HR and legal support to any affected employees. Like there are Apple employees that may be on trips right now and can't get home. Or there are Apple employees, you know, like there are anyone, you know, it obviously isn't just distinct to Apple, but it's just while well, we're talking about this. But, you know, they, they will have people like any big company right now that are having to cancel business trips. Like I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, lives in England, and a co-worker of his is meant to be traveling out to the U.S., and the company's canceled the trip because they can't guarantee he'll get out of the airport. Yeah. the uh, Apple has the deal. It's not just the people uh, People at Apple. I mean, Apple's an international company. It's got people all over the world, and it's got people from all over the world. And it's not just the people outside the world. It's also anticipating what happens with their people who are in the U.S., if there is any need for them to travel internationally, um, th that is all kind of, you know, been brought open to question with the fact that the executive order seems to have, although there may be backpedaling on this, it seems to have affected people with green cards. So people who are legal permanent residents allowed to work in the United States. I mean, those are those are people who work at Apple. And uh, there's some questions about, like, it's not just can they come home, but uh, if you've got them in working in Cupertino, you know, can you send them outside the U.S.? Will they be allowed back in? And that's uh, so it, it has a huge impact on, on Apple and other Silicon Valley companies because they do have an international workforce. Silicon Valley has so many um, workers and founders and uh, key people who are not from the United States, but have come to the United States for their education and to build businesses. 
And, you know, my take on that is that's one of the great things about America is that it's a nation of immigrants and that people from all over the world come here to learn and to build businesses and they stay and build great businesses. And Silicon Valley is a great example of that. So this is a huge problem for Silicon Valley, both in the specifics of employees and Mm -hmm. what is going to happen and their families and what's going to happen to their lives. But also, I would say to the heart of uh, what powers Silicon Valley and I mean, and more broadly, the United States, but certainly Silicon Valley is is a shining example of that promise and what it has done to make the United States the center of the technology, uh, you know, advancement in the late 20th and early 21st century. And Google had done a similar thing as well. Um, you know, they they'd issued an internal memo um, to the to their people, but today, uh, via the Associated Press, um, the Google of of it has been reported that Google have launched a fund where they're aiming to raise four million dollars to donate to four immigrants' rights organizations. Um, Two million is coming from Google, the company, um, and they are encouraging their employees to match this so they can build this $4 million fund. Um, And they've also said that company executives are donating separately from this uh, fund. So, you know, the the matching is not coming from the top tier executives, right? They're they're not going to be putting in this money. They'll be putting in their own money, which I'm sure they'll be doing privately. Um, But yeah, that I'm pleased to see the... um, as well as it just being a war of words, Google is also putting their money where their mouth is. I hope to see all big companies, including Apple, do something like this as well, because there are there are a lot of com- there are a lot of like charities and organizations that are trying to help people. Um, and you know, I urge listeners if it affects them to to seek out some. I I have seen the ACLU as one that is uh, said to be the place where most people seem to be donating money to. Which I think is the is it the American Civil Liberties Union is that is that yeah. what that, yeah um, so they kind of stand up for civil rights and I've been seeing that the ACLU is mentioned as a as a charity to, to donate for a lot of the things that people have been um, protesting over in recent weeks so you know for me I am obviously outside of a lot of this but it affects me to see it you know. Um, I have often considered myself as one day potentially an immigrant to the United States. Like that might be something that happens in my lifetime. Um, so I'm I'm happy to see that when things like this, which are just morally wrong and reprehensible, um, occurring, I'm I'm happy to see the American people standing up and saying something about it and doing something. Yeah, I, you mentioned Google. One thing I will mention that I thought was interesting is uh, Sergey Brin, a uh, Google co-founder, was uh, who and an immigrant who built a company in the United States. Actually, was as a private citizen was at the uh, protest at the terminal at San Francisco International Airport uh, when the executive order came down and people were being detained. I thought that was an interesting just tidbit of uh, his thought process about this that he he went there and 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 stood with those people. So. Um, and again, he is a he is a he was born in the Soviet Union, so and has built a, a an enormous international based in the U.S. business. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. This is uh, there are rumors that there are other uh, changes coming that more directly address the visas that are often used by uh, Silicon Valley companies to uh, attract top talent 
from uh, overseas to uh, live and work in the U.S. So this may be the um, beginning of a much bigger story as well. <sighs> Big sigh. Heavy sigh from Mike. It's hard not to, really. Yep. All uh, right. Yeah. But let's okay, get happy back place, to happy what place, people happy come place. here for. Yeah, happy let's place. get back to what people come here for. Let's take a break. Thank Encapsula for supporting this week's show. Encapsula is the cloud service that makes your website faster and safer. They have a worldwide network that can inspect every packet that comes and goes from your website, blocking attacks against your site while delivering your content to your customers faster. Encapsula's global network includes 30 data centers of 2 terabits of bandwidth. Then This network sits between your servers and your customers, routing traffic, and filtering it as well. It stops attack traffic by scraping bots and making sure denial of service attacks never make it to your servers. Meanwhile, caching your content and optimizing connections using their powerful CDN so your users get your content lightning fast. Encapsula's custom software and servers plus their 24-7 operations team keep it all running. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to encapsula.com upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot upgrade this is where you'll find out more about their service and claim your free month thank you so much to encapsula for their continued support of upgrade and relay fm betas 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 mr jason snell beta betas betas you get a beta like and you them. get a beta and you get a beta i was trying to think of a line of like something along the lines of betas betas everywhere but nothing for the ipad to drink but i couldn't really <laughs> Lock no, into that. No, clearly. There was nothing. So 10.3.1 came out. Um, I guess one of the biggest user face- user facing features or, of or 10, 10.3.1. It's, so it's iOS 10.3 beta. Beta 1. Good 1. Point. Yes, good point. Um, find my AirPods, I guess, is the biggest feature mm. for, for iOS devices, even though really that's kind of more uh, of an iPhone thing. Uh, but that that yeah. was there. I mean, that is a thing. Find my AirPods. I tried it out. It just makes a super loud noise through your AirPods. Um, yeah. And or does some geolocation stuff to try yeah, and work I, out where it is. I think the most clever thing that it does, and this it reminds me of the um, also, I believe, Bluetooth-based, uh, where it drops a pin basically where your car is. And it does that when you park your car. It does that because it just notes when the Bluetooth signal from the car audio device uh, went away and it mm-hmm, says where mm-hmm. did that happen it happened there and it says that's where your car is because obviously where you parked your car and turned off your car is where your car is located Dummy. i think it's doing that yeah it's right <laughs> where you left it stupid um, so so uh i think that's also what it's doing with find my AirPods or my AirPods is it's trying to remember the last place it saw your airpods and you don't remember but it remembers it remembers the geolocation where it lost signal from the airpods and so not only can it like if it's connected it can make a loud noise but it actually remembers where it last saw them which is cool that's smart that's smart stuff yeah i'm i'm happy about that i tried it out um, it's fine. You know, it, it does the job basically. So I'm pleased that that's there. Um, in the last week, I have dropped one of my AirPods three times in the street. Oh, in the street! Oh my! I I yeah. just had another. I have also learned they are incredibly resilient. <laughs> yeah, I just had another um, 
you know, sort of like first time, I, I, it was the first time in like m- weeks that I, one of them fell out of my ears accidentally. And it's the same move. And I just, ha- I just have to pay attention to it, which is if I put on a hoodie and the hood kind of like comes flips up, uh, you know, as I put it on, it sort of flips up toward the back of my head and I pull it back off that move will pop an air, an AirPod out. And that's, that's mm. what gets me. Is the the hood snags on the AirPod? So I just mine gotta, is you know, more that I just keep dropping them when I'm taking them from the case to put in my ears or putting them back. That totally happens. I think I think um, I, I think that is a challenge, right? Is just in that in that dangerous moment between case and ear, where yeah. where you know they might get out of your hands. The other thing that I've I've noticed is that if I don't bring the case with me, um, the there's that sort of like, where do I put it? Okay, now I'm talking to somebody, so I've taken one out of my ears, and where do I put it? Um, do I put it in a pocket? Because then you're risking like washing your pants and, and losing, you know, mm-hmm. washing the AirPod. Um, but I've also noticed that if I sit there and I kind of fiddle with it in my hand, if my hand goes over the um, the proximity sensor... Oh, yeah, it starts playing. The, the audio. audio starts yep, playing. I've done that too. <laughs> in my, because it's in my hand. And it's like, look, hey, I'm back in here. And it's like, no, that's not. So, you know, there are little quirks, little quirks. Yeah, I've noticed that, like, as the, the winter has been getting stronger here, coats with hoods, uh, with collars, sorry, have um, been a problem for me because they the collar kind of can, like, brush against the AirPod. It's not knocked it out yet, but I'm just very aware of it, um, I I do wish that, um, and I hope that a, a future version could could be this way. That the Apple maybe made these out of a more grippy plastic, you know, whether it's like a soft touch or mm. it, they could somehow give it some something more akin to like the jet black, you know, like obviously not that that in, in, insane amount of, of production, but just something wherein the things are less likely to slip out of my hands, like tiny thin bars of soap. Because that's that's my problem. Is I take them out and then they just go like straight out of my hands and then onto the ground and skid along the ground a bit. So yeah, very resilient. I will say that they haven't broken on me yet. Um, but some other things that we got: uh, night shift on the Mac with uh, the Sierra beta, so ten dot twelve dot four beta one brought uh, night shift to the Mac, which is um, I'm surprised it took them this t- amount of time, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think getting it on iOS was a priority, and also they realized that you know you could run software to do that on the Mac, and so mm-hmm. you know I think that was the right prioritization. But it makes sense to have that feature everywhere if they think it's a valuable feature. So it's a, uh, it's good that they've got it. I haven't tried it out because I have not put a beta on my Mac, so I haven't tried it out. I do say though, it it does seem interesting to me to release a low hanging fruit um, on the Mac in a what will be a point release. <laughs> they maybe should keep this for the next full version i don't know like you know uh i don't know how many things are left for the mac and this is like if you didn't put it in in sierra maybe wait to the next release and then it can be like oh, and we're bringing that shift to the mac like you know i don't know I, it, it, yeah it's uh, it just seems like a funny thing to me where it's like how many features do you have left like actual real achievable things that we already know about like that could possibly be done i don't think there are that many left well I like to think that maybe it suggests that they're trying to be a little more uh, iterative with their development and roll features out across the year instead of just dumping a big load of features once. Um, It's also, I think, entirely possible that this is just uh, a 10-12 feature that got bumped because they couldn't 
implemented. And Mm -hmm. so it's still on the 1012 roadmap and they're trying to clear off all of the 1012 stuff before they move on to proper, you know, deep 1013 development rather than kicking it all the way to 1013. If we're, by the way, if we're truly doing 10.13 and not, now that we're on Mac OS, can we just, can next, the next one be 11.0? Can we do that? Can we move on? It's ridiculous. And then, in fact, this could be the year, right? Because we're at iOS 10. So it's possible that this fall, I can't believe I'm talking about this now. There's, we're going to be talking about this. This is one of my ridiculous name theories that I have. You know, it's me. I do this. But uh, you could do iOS 11 and macOS 11 this fall. You could sync up the version numbers. Maybe. I would be surprised if they if they didn't. 10.13 just seems dumb. But, you know, that's where we are. Version 10 forever, I guess. Even though it's not in the name anymore. We'll see. Something you seem pretty excited about is that Safari looks like it might be getting real-time communication features. What is this? Yeah, so I, uh, a friend of mine that I've known for uh, 25 years, Dan Applequist, is a web standards guy. And he t- retweeted uh, something that I hadn't seen covered, which was that there was a massive check-in by Apple to the WebKit code base. And, you know, like it's one of these open source, like, like, uh, like Swift stuff, right? It's like Apple working in open source is a little bit different. Like we, we can, we can see in because it's open source and WebKit drives Safari on iOS and Mac OS and they have WebKit developers and they, they check in stuff and they have a roadmap and they talk about it. And they talked about for a while that they were working on a bunch of new things, including real-time communication features. So what happened is code got checked in. For, for support for WebRTC, which is the standard, it's in Chrome, it's in Firefox, that allows browsers to do audio and video features without plugins. So it enables the browser to do all sorts of multimedia stuff without requiring you to, you know, use Flash or install the Google Chat plugin or anything like that. And um, what is interesting about this is that the web-based podcasting stuff like cast and zencaster that are these tools that basically you give everybody a web link instead of doing what we do which is everybody gets on skype and they've got recording software that they are also running because we want them to record their microphone locally and then send it in so it sounds like you know like for people who are listening to this podcast if they don't know we are talking via skype but nobody hears skype skype is actually not what you hear you hear me recording uh, in California, my voice and Mike recording his voice in London, and then Mike assembles that together, and it sounds like we're in the same room, even though we're not. It sounds better than we're in the same room because we're isolated, but it sounds uh, full quality. Um, so th- to do that, you've got to record. So so it's like okay, we'll con- connect via Skype, and that's how we'll hear each other. But we'll also run a recorder, and we'll do that, and then we'll put it together. And you get somebody who's who's new at this. And you try to tell them about this stuff, and and especially if they're not big computer people, it gets really complicated. So Cast and Zencaster are these websites where you sign up as a podcast host and pay them a little bit of money, and you give them a link. You give your guests a link, and they just show up in the and in the web page. It has voice communication; you can hear each other, and in the background, the web browser is doing the recording of their voice, uh, the local recording. 
and uploading it to the server. So you literally get to the end of the podcast and you press a button saying we're done and you wait for the browser and it takes, a, a, you know, b- between a few seconds and a few minutes, it, it says I'm uploading your file now and then the file gets uploaded and you're done. It is, it is dead simple. Um, I use it for one of the podcasts I do because it's with somebody who's a little less technical and it makes it sound really good. So the, adding WebRTC to Safari means that it will probably be able to support those tools down the road. And while that's less interesting on the Mac because we do have all of these different tools for stuff like this, um, since Safari and WebKit are the basis for uh, web browsing on iOS as well, it opens up the possibility that you could use those apps to record podcasts with people on every platform imaginable, basically, if it's running Chrome or Safari, including iOS, which would mean I could do podcasts with local recordings on my iPhone or my iPad, wherever I was, if I had a microphone. And that's exciting because, as we've talked about before, Apple doesn't really, has not done a a, a good job of prioritizing, I guess I would say, some sound features. Like, you can't, like, run a sound recorder like Audio Hijack while running Skype on the iPhone. You can't do it. It doesn't work. Uh, because of OS limitations. And maybe one day they'll fix those things. But if they build all of the multimedia features into WebKit and it's in Safari for iOS, then you kind of don't need them because you can do this all-in-one approach that gets you to record and talk at the same time in the browser. So we'll see whether that's even an iOS 11 feature. It may not be. I don't know how long it takes, and I don't know what state that code is in. Mm. But the fact that there was a code check-in, plus a lot of other stuff, if you remember the Safari is the new IE discussion that the guy uh, Nolan Lawson kind of kicked off everywhere, Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that he complained about has been checked in as well. And, And Safari... Uh, some of that stuff is supported in shipping Safari, and then a lot of it is supported in the developer uh, preview Safari stream that is now available. So um, Safari work proceeds uh, apace, and they are doing a lot of stuff, including these um, uh, web standards that have been implemented on other platforms and in other browsers, but haven't been in Safari yet. And the, you know, again, you can choose an alternative browser on the Mac, but on iOS, even Chrome on iOS uses the WebKit renderer because that's the the law on iOS. So mm-hmm. this stuff coming to Safari is a big deal, especially for compatibility on uh, on iOS devices. Yeah, I would, I would be, I'm keen to see how it would be implemented on iOS devices because. Um, it would be more than just giving this this ability, right? iOS starves web browsers for RAM, and for, quite frequently, you I'll open up a web browser and, and all of my tabs have been refreshed. Yeah. So you know stuff like that, they would need to also put time into if they care about you know more than just the other things that real time communication yeah. could could enable. It's hot. It's hard to imagine that they would they would build in RTC and have it be that you could be having a VoIP con- conversation over a web page and then just tr- close the web page mm-hmm. because you're somewhere else. I, I think that seems dumb, right? That seems oh, counter agree. to the entire point. So I think they will probably uh, solve for that and and prioritize that over other things if there's still audio or video going on there. But we'll see. I should say uh, real-time follow-up. Um, uh, Kyle Seth Gray in the chat room says uh, browser crashing could be catastrophic if you're recording a podcast. Actually, one of the things these apps do that's very clever is that they stream the um, they stream your your self audio in the background up to the server. So I've had browser crashes using Cast before, and um, 
it saves the audio. It doesn't get all of it. You might you might miss a few seconds, but it does a pretty good job of keeping caught up. If you have somebody on a very slow connection, it will prioritize your ability to hear them over the upload and do the upload later. But in most cases, it's actually pretty safe. So it's a cool, again, I would much rather just have apps I could run on my iPad like I run them on my Mac. But the web-based stuff has a lot of advantages uh, in that it might actually happen earlier on iOS. And for people who are not tech savvy who do uh, interviews or podcasts, it's actually way better because Mm -hmm. I don't have to walk somebody through recording their own uh, microphone. Uh, And that's a beautiful thing. Thank you for addressing that RTC, RTFU. That was that was really good. Uh, <laughs> uh, watch OS theater mode. This will be a mode that will be coming to Watch OS, <laughs> where it projects a big screen onto the wall. And, nope. Uh, it lets users quickly mute all of their sounds on their Apple Watch, and it disables waking the screen yeah. on raising of the wrist. Um, I'm actually happy about this. I was in a movie theater a couple of weeks ago I seeing know, right? La La Land, which I enjoyed immensely. I know it get it seems to get mixed reviews from people that I know. I, I loved La La Land. Um, and every time I would move my arm, my watch face would come on. Um, I know. Which is embarrassing because yep. it's difficult to, to get it to stop. And I know there's a thing about putting your hand over it, but sometimes all that does is just open an app and then you're back to square one again. Um, you will still get haptic noti- notifications. You still get notifications. You still tap you. But you need to tap the screen or press the crown to see them. Great. Yep. That's I, I agree. I, I have those exact same feelings about when you're in the theater. And I think anybody... You know, anybody who's had their Apple Watch in a theater has done that where you're you get a notification and you're suddenly your wrist lights up or you just move your wrist and and the screen turns on. So it's that's good. And the I guess the biggest story here um, is the developer changes that seem to be coming. I don't think because necessarily because well the the review some of the review changes are not necessarily because of 103 I don't think but like they're happening with 103 and there there are kind of two strand, strands here there is uh, changes to the way that customers can review your applications and if you're a developer and a way that developers can respond to written reviews of customers. So the first off will be the way that, that customers can review apps. So there will be a new iOS API to let developers ask for reviews inside of an application. So you're using an app and it will pop up and say, hey, would you like to review this app? Now, there are many apps that do this currently, but the way that this happens is it will then launch the App Store for you then to go and leave that review but what this does is it will is something is a a modal dialogue that apple will pop up to to put this in place so you will be asked to review the app you can just leave the star rating press rate this and you're done and it's done you don't get taken out of the app or anything like that Um, and developers are able to define which parts of their application that this could occur in. So, for example, you won't be alerted halfway through the level of a game to rate the app, for example, which is the thing mm. that concerned me because the way it was originally reported, you know, just from, from what we knew, is like it could just randomly just appear at any moment, um, which is not the way that you want it to be. Uh, this dialogue can be shown up to three times a year per application. If a customer has already rated an application, they will not be prompted to see it again. And there will be a master switch in iOS settings to disable these prompts for all applications. And according to some um, 
some quotes that were given to John Gruber at Daring Fireball. Um, apparently, this new API will eventually become the only allowed process for asking for reviews, but this will not be an immediate change um, that Apple will be will be mandating on developers. This is all, uh, it's great classic carrot and stick kind of things, right? Because mm-hmm. like the ability to review an app without leaving the app is a huge motivation for people to adopt this. And, uh, but if you adopt it, you also have this limitation on how much you can ask. But you also get to know that if they reviewed your app, you don't, it, it won't ever bug them again, which is, I think, knowledge that they don't have right now. So that's good. And then hanging over all of it is the fact that you're going to need to implement this eventually if you want to keep asking, because at some point Apple will start rejecting apps mm-hmm. if they are asking by some other means. So, you know, it makes sense. I think it gives developers most of what they've asked for and complained about for the last eight or nine years. And I think it's actually better for everybody, right? If you really are allergic to these things, you can turn it off in your settings, but it's only going to ask you a few times a year. And if you do give it a review, then you're done. And uh, I was listening to ATP last night from last week, and, and they all made the point, and I fully agree with them, which is, I too do not rate apps I love very often in the App Store, because it is kind of a pain. you got to leave the app and and quite honestly, when I get asked in an app to rate or an app, generally I'm not at the point where I want to do that. I want to use the app. So being able to very quickly say, yeah, I like this. It's a five-star app or whatever, and then move on with what I'm doing and never be asked again, I think that's great from a user standpoint too. So I, I think this is a win all around. You know, are there details to be worked out? Sure. Are there going to be things that are going to come up that people are going to complain about? Of course. But this this is like an uh, an A plus kind of thing. This this seems to so many of Apple's tweaks with the App Store. We go well. This really asks you know more questions than it answers, and what is it really going to mean? And then they have to come out with a clarifying statement or something. And that that is not the case with this one. This one seems uh, pretty solid all the way around. Really well thought out. Yeah, I think that this is even what they're providing here is better for customers. And it is for developers. Like, not that it's bad for developers, but like the gains that you get as a customer, I think, are greater than the, the gains that a developer gets. Just because it's like it is making your apps better to use because you're not being frustrated by them. You know, it's like, it's like a less frustrating thing. Um, because I, I, I hate those, those dialogues because typically it's like a multi stage dialogue. Because they want to, like, you know, first uh-huh. ask you if you're happy and then, hey, why don't you leave a review or tweet about us? Or if you're not happy, it's like, well, why don't you talk to our support team? Like, I don't want to do any of this. Like, you right. have asked, you've popped this thing up and now I'm being asked, like, in multiple different ways or, like, told how often do I want to be told about this? Like, I, I'm happy and will be happy to get this pop up. I will be more willing to leave reviews for applications if. All I have to do is tap one extra button, right? Because I'm either going to tap cancel or the review. And the only other thing I have to do is just tap the star rating. So it's two taps, right? Instead of one tap. So I, I will be happier for that. And I mean, you know, and I get it from developers. It's like if they release a new version, they cannot give the ability for these things to come back up again, right? And this yep. year has, has changed. And, and uh, I think if somebody dismisses it three times, so say it pops up three times in a year, and you dismiss it every time, that person will not be asked again for another full calendar year as well. So there's like there's some 
where it's like three and a year, there's like a couple of different things that mean that, which is a little bit tricky to to, to grok. But I think that it's good. Um, I think the thing that is better for developers than it is for customers in that way is the fact that developers will be able to respond to reviews now. Um, I can can only see this to be a a good thing. Um, I understand that it means that this is something else that developers need to 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 keep track of. But if you uh, can do it correctly, you know, without trying to fight with your customers as a developer um, and are able to kind of keep your cool about it, especially when people are being maybe mean and nasty to you for no reason sometimes, um, mm-hmm. it can be a lot better for the that individual customer, but also for all prospective customers of your application. You know, if they can, if someone can take a look at your reviews and they they can see two things. They can see like one that some of the stuff that's maybe being said about it is wrong. You know, like so bad things about your application are said to be wrong. Um, and also that you know you can see immediately when you're buying an application. Oh, this this developer cares about their app and cares about their customers. That they take the time to thoughtfully respond to them. You know, you can get a good feeling about the application you're about to buy. You know, the even and even a case of like, yeah, like let's say that a piece of functionality is missing, but you can see the developer say, like, I know this is missing right now, I'm working on it and hope to have it out within the next couple of months. You could be like, All right, like that's good. Like I know now that like I'm not gonna get this thing that I might want, but I can know it's coming, so I can feel good in, in checking in and going ahead and buying this. Um again, according to, to uh statements from Apple to Daring Fireball, the replies that will be push like the replies in response to a, a review will be visually connected from developer to customer they're not going to be threaded but visually connected whatever that means um and that they can also be edited once afterwards so the customer can edit their review once and the developer can edit their review once and and i guess that would be and, and it's good that they're doing this so the customer can go like oh the developer solved my thing and then the developer can go Thanks very much. You know, like they just would put a yeah. little line in to edit them. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I think that the customer review part um, is maybe the one that's more interesting to me because I think it's something that's more needed and has been needed for longer than the the review dialogue. Honestly, um, like the review dialogue thing is Apple's response to an ugly trend, but the the ability for developers to be able to to reply to reviews has been something the app store has needed for a desperately long time that has been around um on the google play store for a very long time long enough that it's surprising that it's that they're doing it now nothing's changed that means that they should do this now um except for the fact that i guess that leadership has changed at the app store i think like there, there was no pressure put on apple more than there has been in the past. Like the most pressure that was put on them for this was when Google implemented it, but they didn't do it then. Yeah, I think uh, Apple's attitudes toward developers are changing a little bit, and I don't want to make a too big a deal of it because it's still Apple, and there's the relationship is always going to be Apple not prioritizing developers because Apple will prioritize itself and customers more than developers. But I think there was. I'm going to say I'm going to try to be delicate about this. I think in the pre-Jobs era there was a huge structure about supporting developers. And in the Jobs era 
a lot of that was changed and a lot of the attitudes changed. And I think, I think the, my perception from the outside is that some of that got dismantled, but I think the biggest change in the jobs era was a little more disdainful attitude toward developers. And if again, armchair analyst from the outside, but I can tell you with a few examples that I experienced and I saw people experience that Steve Jobs had an attitude that people who weren't Apple, who were making businesses and profits and livings off of accessories and ad apps and add-ons and anything that was sort of about Apple, but weren't inside Apple were kind of distasteful because they were, they were making a living on Apple's greatness. And I, I legitimately believe that Steve always had a problem with third party people. Not that he didn't know that they needed to exist because they absolutely did, but that I never really thought that he treated them with anything but kind of, begrudging acceptance at best yeah like it was a shame that they had to exist <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah and and then at worst it was with uh kind of repulsion and disdain and you know the fact that you're you know and viewing them as parasites and i think that there were examples of both i think and you can see it in a lot of things like uh the existence of the ipod hi-fi which really existed out of spite because they thought that bose was making too much money with the sound dock and they wanted to steal that money away with their great brilliant apple product which failed um and i think it goes to the app store philosophy over the course of whatever eight or nine years where um i think that once that prioritization and thought was in there and i'm not saying that individual people who worked in the app store and developer relations felt this way but i'm feeling like from the top there was a, a culture of kind of not caring too much about what the developers said they needed because one they weren't inside apple and they should be grateful for what they've been given and two the app store was doing so well and the app developers were supposedly doing so well there's so much money there that everybody should just kind of be quiet and accept it and as with a lot of things that uh you know steve jobs wasn't perfect a lot of things that that i think he did were um were he had some attitudes that were harmful uh, or negative about things, you know, blind spots that he had about Apple. I think getting into the whole lawsuit thing with Samsung is another example of that. But I think this is one of those examples where Steve's been gone long enough and the corporate culture has changed enough that it's, you know, it's, I don't even want to say safe. It's okay for those precepts that were instilled in the culture early on to kind of fade away. And honestly, I think that's what we're seeing. I think that's what we've seen over the last year or two since Phil Schiller took over the the group is this is an example of like, they could have done this. They could have done this eight years ago. They could have done this six years ago. They could have done a version of this a long time ago. But I think culturally it was like, you know, not something to do. Like, let's not do that. I don't know whether that was a specific directive or whether it was just part of the cultural feeling about like, this is how we, uh, this is what developers get and this is what they don't get. Um, the only thing I would say that I feel like is still there that is an open question. And this came up when there was a lawsuit, I think, about the App Store and uh, about Apple 
how Apple treats app store sales. And Apple made a claim in, I think not in a legal document, but maybe in a, in a press statement that app purchasers are not Apple's customers. They're the customers of the developers and all Apple is doing is providing a storefront. And I know that a lot of developers really rolled their eyes hard at that one because uh, app developers don't know who buys their apps on the app store. They're not given customer information. They're not given any way to contact those people. And that's an ex- that's another example of this kind of approach to developers, which is, you know, you guys should be lucky that you get money from us. You don't get to know who your customers are. And will that change? I don't know. There are lots of issues about that, about privacy, uh, you know, providing access to those people and, and their information is they would have to update the Apple privacy policy. But it's of a kind with some of this other stuff. So maybe it will change because I didn't think that developers would ever be given the opportunity to uh, respond to App Store reviews. And look where we are. So yeah, some some big changes. It was uh, there was nothing nothing in ten three for what we were really looking for, which was the iPad. And I'm not really sure what that says yet, but right now it doesn't tell us what we were expecting. So yep. Never say never. <laughs> no, never say we've never. learned that lesson. This week's episode of Upgrade is brought to you by FreshBooks. The life of a freelancer can quite frequently see you racing against the clock to wrap up projects, preparing for meetings later on in the afternoon, trying to tackle a mounting of paperwork before you even think about getting the invoices out that will pay you for all of that stuff that you're doing. This life can be challenging, but FreshBooks believes the rewards are worth it, so they build tools that make the challenges easier for all of us. With the growth of the internet, the working world is different, and now there are opportunities that exist that didn't exist before, like, for example, the jobs that me and Jason have. They just didn't exist in the way that they exist now, in the way that people like me and Jason can be self-employed doing these things, rather than needing to work at a broadcaster or a magazine, even. The new FreshBooks has been redesigned from the ground up to work exactly the way that you do, the way that we do, to be online the new freshbooks is easy to use and it's packed full of features you can create and send beautiful looking invoices in less than 30 seconds and you build them all in a WYSIWYG interface so you know exactly how they'll look before you send them out you're easily able to set up online payments so your clients can pay you in a multitude of ways which is why freshbooks customers get paid up to four days faster you will see detailed information on who's seen your invoices there'll be no more guessing games no more chaser emails you'll know where that invoice is in the, the accounts payable team at your client and they have an all new notification system you can think of as like your personal assistant every time you log in to freshbooks you get an update on what's changed with your business and what needs your attention so this invoice is late you need to check out yeah, make sure what's going on here. This this invoice is passed. This uh this client's usual paying time. You know, like their their usual trends. Because one of the things I love about FreshBooks, you know, companies can sometimes take longer to pay than you'd want them to. But what I really like is that they give me an average of how long it takes company X to pay. So, like for example, if it takes a company thirty five days to pay, when I've given thirty days to pay, but they pay always on the thirty fifth day, then why would I bother on the thirtieth day? I may as well, I should bother from the 36th day because they have their own process that they deal with. That's one of my favorite things about FreshBooks is I don't have to bug people more than is needed, right? Because I can just take a look at how long it usually takes them to pay and then wait to bug them after that. I really like that. 
There's a beautiful redesign with the new FreshBooks is focused on simplicity and clarity, giving you a bird's eye view of your business and letting you answer the age-old question of how is my business doing? FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of this show. Just go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and use the code upgrade in the how did you hear about us section so they will know that you came to them from this show. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for their support of Upgrade and Relay FM. So you wrote a review of a new keyboard that you've been trying out for the iPad Pro. Yeah, I bought um, in December, I bought the Bridge keyboard, the Bridge 12.9. And Bridge is spelled with a Y, just like yeah. all the cool names are spelled exactly with right. a Y all instead the cool of an names. I. Yep. Uh, Bridge Keyboard is, uh, they make a bunch of different keyboards for iPads and uh, Microsoft Surface as well. And they're, the way they do it is they build these keyboards with um, metal clamps that are uh, hinged. Uh, and the idea there is you slide the uh, tablet into the, the clamps. They're padded. They're soft padded um, clamps. And you just slide it in. And at that point, it's a laptop, like it's in laptop mode to, and, and like literally laptop, no kickstand or anything like that. You can put it on your lap and adjust it to whatever angle and the screen, which is your tablet, just sits there. And then the bottom part is a Bluetooth uh, keyboard with keyboard movement that is quite similar, I would say, to the, uh, it's not exact, but it's close to the, uh, like the MacBook Air, the, the kind of previous generation um, Apple keyboard. On those hinges... How do they react to like cases? Like, can you can you put, keep nope. a smart cover on? Nothing. No, nope. nothing. Mm. Okay, nothing. You gotta you you, you gotta have no case because it is a it is calibrated for the thickness of the device, and so it it goes in snugly. It doesn't it doesn't mark them up or anything because there are sort of rubber covered hinges, but they are exactly the right size. Um, in fact, you have to kind of learn. The first time I tried it, I completely failed to get it in there. But I, I uh, you you kind of have to tilt it, and then and then the laptop or the uh, iPad screen will will if you tilt it right, it'll it'll settle into the hinges, and then uh, and then it's in. And and once you're trained basically on how to do it, it it's super easy. So you said um, in your review, I think I found the best external keyboard for the 12.9 inch iPad. It's the best one I've tried so far, um, and it's not perfect. There are issues, but it is the closest I've come because the, one of the problems is so many of these iPad keyboard thingies are not usable as laptops. They have a kickstand or something. So mm-hmm, like the mm-hmm. the uh, Razer one was like this, which you can't like put it in your lap and use it. You really, it's like a tabletop kind of scenario because the stability is lacking if you've got a, a kickstand coming out the back way. It requires a lot more space. And then you've got this kind of kickstand edge dropping down, you know, back at your knees, let's say, if you're using a laptop. It, it, it's not, and, and so many of them are also a single uh, angle. So like the Logitech Create, is a single angle, and this one you can adjust just like you would a laptop. The other thing that it has over the Logitech Create is that the Logitech Create, you have to uh, sort of snap in. And so I find that the Logitech Create is, although it's a good product, it's bulky, um, but you're committing to basically having your iPad be a laptop. And I don't like that. I Most of the time I use my iPad as an iPad. I had a bunch of people when I wrote this review, they, they said, why don't you just get a laptop? It's like, well, I have a laptop, 
but I don't use it. I use my iPad because I mostly want to use my iPad as an iPad, and occasionally I want to use it as a as a, a laptop. Occasionally I want a keyboard with it, and this is a this is a really nice keyboard that can transform my iPad for the time that I use it as that. Yeah, and also like that's not really like it. I get why people make that argument, but it's it's not always a valid argument because. You maybe just want to use iOS, which you cannot get in laptop form. I think it's rarely, rarely a good argument, actually. I think it, I think it's a, a question that misunderstands completely the reason that people buy products like this. Um, I did have somebody from Apple who said, you know, we make a 13-inch MacBook Air. Uh, <laughs> and my response was something like... Someone from Apple? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and my God. response was, with Retina and a touchscreen? <laughs> no oh no uh yeah i mean you and, use and this with a thriving application ecosystem <laughs> yeah so ipad it's using ios and i like my ipad and so when i went to hawaii i took this with me and and most of the time it was not being used right i it was just in my bag but when i there was one afternoon where i needed to do a little bit of work and i brought that out and now i had a laptop essentially that i had converted my ipad into and the reality is that there are not even on the pc side there are not a lot of good options for a laptop that's convertible into a tablet that's good as a tablet and should be primarily used as a tablet and has a lot of battery life. Generally, what you'll get are laptops that can be put in a tablet-esque mode, but they're heavy or they don't have good battery life. Uh, It's not, you know, there aren't a lot of alternatives to this that are really a laptop. And again, I want to use iOS and I want to use my iPad. That's that's the device I want to use. So this gets me there. Um, it, it, it gets me uh, something that you can close it and it looks like a laptop. You can carry it around like a laptop. But in the end, if I want it to be an iPad, all I do is grab the top and pull it out. And that's it. And then... I have my iPad back. I don't have to unsnap it and you know slide it out of the plastic rails and stuff on the Logitech Create. And I should say the other thing I like about it is it's an aluminum keyboard. It is. Uh, it's not made of plastic. It doesn't. It looks good and matches the device. And I think that that's. I think that's good. Um, and it weighs about what the iPad Pro weighs. So you know, in the end, you end up with a whatever three pound laptop. It, it's not. It's not super lightweight. If you want to travel light, there are better options. You just just a magic keyboard and a and a, uh, a canopy uh, would be okay. But again, not if you want to use it on your lap. If you want to use it on a tabletop, those are those are better options. And how do you find the keys? They're okay. This is something that's very important to you. They're okay. They're they're not as good as the keys on my MacBook Air, let's say. But they're close. They're 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 similar. Um, they're not quite the same, mm-hmm. but they're close enough. And uh, once I use the uh, once I start using the keyboard, I kind of I kind of forget about it. But it is they are more in that style. They're not like the new. They don't feel like the new ones so much to me um, as the old previous generation Apple laptop. And I think you said you had some production problems on these, which I also believe Federico did as well. Yeah, yeah, Federico did too. And I think that I think that's my big red flag here um, is that the first one I got didn't work right, <laughs> and uh, their support was really great, and they sent me another one, and it it had the exact same problem. And at that point, I was like, "Well, forget it." And I I said, "This is ridiculous," and and their support was like. I agree. It's ridiculous. That shouldn't have happened. I don't know what's going on. 
but the support person said, we have a batch right here in our main office and I have gotten one and made sure that it works fine. And I'm going to send it to you now. Return the other one at your leisure. It wasn't even like a wait. That is incredible. It wasn't even like wait for, we'll wait for to receive yours and then send you out a new one because we've got to do this like a hostage transfer. It was, (laughs) it was, this is really bad. Take, take the keyboard. Two people meet in the upstairs of a car park and they, (laughs) You got the keyboard? Just shift one over to the other. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this is uh, this is the one that I have now, and that works fine. And my guess is that they had a bad batch. My guess is they had something wrong with a batch of theirs where the Bluetooth was intermittent or something like that. But I got to say, like, I found their support great, and I ended up with a keyboard that works really well. But if you're somebody who do- who who for whom that is a red flag or you don't want to deal with it, again, you know, they offered me a refund. They offered me a replacement, it w- and I ended up with what I what I wanted. Um, and so, for some some people, will go into a warning like that and be like, "Oh well, so if I get a bad one, they'll just replace it." And it's like, yeah, that was my experience. Other people will be like, "Whoa, I don't even want to." bother because that sounds like they have uh, production problems and I don't trust them. And that's a personal decision. I was pretty much ready to just write it off as I, I can't even try this product because it doesn't work right. When, but you know, throughout the process, I have to give them credit. Their support was spectacular and they did make it right in the end. So I have to, you know, I have to disclose that and I have to talk about that, that they, they didn't make it right. I should also say I bought this keyboard I didn't ask for a review unit and work with their PR people. I bought it. I never explained that I was going to write a review of it. I just bought it. Um, and if they knew that I was somebody who writes product reviews, they certainly never let on. Um, so I think it was a legitimate customer interaction. But, you know, it, buyer beware. Uh, that said, if you're somebody who is intrigued by the idea of an, uh, you know, an aluminum adjustable, truly laptopable keyboard for an iPad, that uh, a 12.9 iPad that you can get in and out of the case uh, very quickly... Um, which are sort of my priorities. This is this is a winner. Saranda Caldwell was telling me that she, other than the fact that it doesn't use the smart connector, she would be into it. And it's true; it uses Bluetooth, which means you need to turn it on when you attach it. You need to press the power button on the keyboard in order to get it to to uh, turn on. Um, and I wish they had re-engineered it to use the smart connector. They probably could have done that, but they didn't. And so that's one thing. But you know, it's not enough of a deal breaker for me. And, and so that's, and and the Logitech create, like I have a Logitech create and I never, I literally never use it because it requires you to snap it in place on the, on the 12.9, snap it in place. There's all all this kind of fiddly stuff in order to get this enormous, you know, enormous shell around your iPad. And I just don't like that because most of the time I want my iPad to be an iPad. Yeah, I've held off from getting the Create for my big iPad Pro. And it's not so much the weight, it's just the fact that it's not, it doesn't really seem to be versatile for what I like the iPad Pro for. Like, if I'm going to be strapping this huge case thing on that specific iPad, I want it to be like adjustable and stuff like that. Um, And also, you know, not being able to put the keyboard into what I kind of refer to as media mode very easily. Like the the smart keyboard, you can like flip it around the back and stand it up, you know, like like how we've always known smart covers to be, right? Where you can do that thing where you can stand it and it can be kind of in, in movie watching kind of mode. 
the the Create Nine Seven is is really nice, and you've got that, and you mm-hmm. love it, and I think it's very good. But the Twelve Nine, uh, yeah, I think I think it's just not as good because of the, the, the many reasons. <laughs> but I did I did order one of these based on your review because you described a couple of things that I would be interested in. So I I don't like the size and weight, but basically my twelve point nine inch iPad now doesn't really leave the house. Like it is my it is the main computer I use at home for doing serious work on. Like, I use my 9.7 more often, but, like, when I'm sitting down, like, especially when I'm maybe, like, prepping for this show, I want to have a full window of Google Docs and a full window of Apple Notes or a web browser. So I like to use yep. the 12.9 of that, so I've got these two apps fully side-by-side, side, right? So um, I thought it would be really nice to have the ability to have my iPad at any viewing angle i think that would be a really nice thing um that i would be willing to try out for for what i consider to be a pretty serious trade-off of it not having the smart connector like the bluetooth and the recharging is just i consider that to be a pain now because it's not necessary anymore like you can do this with the smart connector because logitech do like it is possible um so it's i consider that a frustration but the fact that i can have the the viewing angles to be readjusted means that that's why i would choose this one over that one and the other being that it seems like from where you described it it is easier to get this on and off than the logitech oh god yes yeah but it does still frustrate me that i would then need to then go and grab a, a a um smart cover uh, yeah, and that's what I that's exactly what I do is I take my smart cover off and slide it into the into the hinges. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm done, I pull it out and put the smart cover back on. So like I consider it to be a frustration, but I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to see if it's a trade-off that I consider to be worth it. Um and as a just a a customer experience thing that I think is good, which I always really appreciate. Um they clearly have a UK or European warehouse. So like yeah, I ordered it yesterday and it'll be here tomorrow and I paid for it in dollars. Their color availability is hilarious. I was looking at that. They're like, uh, space gray is out of stock for US, Australia and Hong Kong. You know, silver mm-hmm. is back ordered for US. It, it, it's very precise because they've got uh, different availability in the different regions, which is, uh, it's funny. Now the hinge thing is just very clever. That's seriously what they're, what they're staking their claim to. All of these keyboards that they make have that hinge. And, you know, if that's what you want is drop it in quickly and it's a laptop and then pull it right back out and now it's not a laptop anymore that's what it does and then cool most of the you know most of the use i have ever had of a laptop is not with a laptop on a a table it's actually really bad ergonomically it's in my lap sitting in a chair sitting on a bed something like that 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 is how i have always used laptops and most of the ipad keyboard things don't do that just like how the surface pro Mm -hmm. with its kickstand like doesn't do that um and you know there's a lot of weight in that ipad and so you have to have weight and uh and size to counterbalance it um and it is the exact size of the ipad so that you can close it and it looks like you know it looks like a a 13 inch laptop with a kind of a hinge thing on the running on the back but it looks like and the, and it's color match too. That's actually pretty great. It's space gray, and I have a space gray iPad. So a lot of I've things I like about gray it because I'm in the UK, so it's not out of stock. <laughs> yeah, see, and, and uh, it doesn't have an escape key. That's the one that kills me because I you actually can like if you if you start a uh, spotlight search and then you want to get out, you can hit escape and you, you can't. 
because there's no escape key on this keyboard, um, which I think is a weird decision. It is backlit, I should also say, which people like. Um, I think it hurts the battery life. I, I've I've never run out of battery with it. I occasionally will recharge it when I think, oh, I should probably recharge that keyboard. But it, it, and they claim that it's got I don't know weeks. If you've got the backlight turned off, weeks and weeks of battery life. So it's not that big a deal. You do have to connect the you know connect Bluetooth. You have to turn it on so that it connects via Bluetooth. So I'll report back. All right. Next time with my right. feelings. Maybe it's for you. I, I mean, it. all of these things are so, because they're all about ergonomics and yep. use cases and all that, like that's the thing I've learned in trying all these different keyboards is I can't definitively say that's the keyboard for you. Like if I were writing a wire cutter article about iPad keyboards, it would be really hard because um, it's just like like a keyboard article. Um, at Macworld, we struggled with this, writing articles about ergonomics. There is no one answer. Everybody's bodies are different. Everybody's use cases are different. What apps do you use on your iPad? That's going to make a difference. How, how often do you use your iPad in keyboard mode versus not? Do you always use a case? All of these things are are uh, are combined in this. So um, for me and my uses, this is the best I've found so far, but it's not going to be for everybody. Today's show is also brought to you by Blue Apron. They are on a mission to make incredible home cooking meals accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Every Blue Apron recipe comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-proportioned ingredients that lets you prepare fantastic food in 40 minutes or less. You customize your recipes based on your dietary preferences and you choose a delivery option that fits your needs. There's no weekly commitment. You choose your deliveries when you want them and Blue Apron will deliver to 99% of the continental US. Blue Apron sets the highest quality for standards of their from their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranches. They know that when you cook with fresh ingredients, that you will be able to make incredible meals, and this is why they support a more sustainable food system. You can choose new recipes every week, and they're created by Blue Apron's culinary team, and they're not repeated in a year. You can cook recipes like mixed mushroom and potato pizza with fontina cheese and spinach and garlic oil, burgers and red cabbage slaw with creamy sriracha sauce and roasted sweet potato, or maybe even pork chops and garlic piccata with scallion rice and spinach. It is approaching dinner time for me right now, and I'm very hungry having listened (laughs) to those meals. You can check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash upgrade. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. Go to blueapron.com slash upgrade, and we'd like to thank them for their support of this show and Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Just made oh. Blue Apron last night. Oh, yeah? How was it? It was good. Uh, AirPods help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> listening, to, listening to podcasts with the AirPods in while I make the uh, I make the meal. It was fantastic. It was great. It was a, it was a panini sandwich mm. with, so it was uh, melted mozzarella mm. and roast cauliflower oh. and and uh parmesan cheese and red sauce so it was like a it was like an eggplant parmesan except with uh, roasted cauliflower instead it was really good that does sound pretty good actually Mm -hmm. blue apron man they know what it's about it's time for some ask upgrade chris would like a history lesson jason snell can you can you explain the history of the command key uh chris's boss calls it the apple key 
Was it Command or the Apple logo on the original Mac? And do you know what that Command logo is all about? Uh, so the Apple key goes back before the Mac. The Apple uh, 2E, I think. I'm not sure if the Apple 2 Plus had one. Maybe it, yeah, maybe it did. Um, that there was an Apple um, Apple key that you could use for certain functions. Uh, you know, again, like a like a command kind of thing. Um, no, it was not on the Apple II. It was on the Apple II Plus, um, or the Apple IIe, which I had. Um, and, and there was an open Apple and a closed Apple key, in fact, to give you even more, um, more options for weird keyboard shortcuts and restarting the, uh, I think it was like shift open Apple reset is the reboot, were the reboot keys on the Apple IIe. So it starts there as an Apple key. And then on the Mac, they ultimately went and... Again, I don't know if this actually exists. I've got an original Mac keyboard right over there. I could go look. Um, but it, it's a uh, it's something that Apple added in as the equivalent of, you know, of, a, of an alt. They, they had the command and the option, and the idea was that they were menu bar shortcuts. So that was that. that's the idea, and, and it's extended to this day where now we've got command and option and control. So many. The original Mac keyboard had option and command on it uh, just the spinny the spinny uh propellery guy the spinny propellery guy itself there is a history there <laughs> i can tell you about it it basically is a thing that uh, i think susan Kerr saw when she was in scandinavia it's a symbol that's used that means like a place of interest uh, when i was in denmark i want to say i saw it on a sign somewhere or maybe it was in sweden i saw it on a sign somewhere in a in a park and i was like ah look they're still using it um and that was the inspiration for it was that and i don't know why it was the symbol for a, a place of interest or anything like that but uh, that's the short version i think there have been whole articles written about it but that's the uh that's the short version wikipedia says that it came in uh into the project the macintosh project at a late stage um, Steve Jobs found it frustrating when Apple's filled up the Mac's menus next to key commands because he felt this was an overuse of the company's logo. So when you'd hit oh, you menu and you'd see instead of the keyboard shortcut, you see Apple, 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 Apple. And do you know what? I can see that. I don't think I yeah. would like that. I think that would be like if, if it was still like that now, I don't think I would like the way that that looked because it's company logo overuse for sure rather than yeah. just like a glyph. Um, Brent wants to know how often do we try to 3D touch our iPads? I don't think I ever make this mistake. Never. Weird, but I never do. I mean, I use 3D touch a fair bit, like especially to preview things. Uh, that that is, I guess, my main use. So, as a way to preview messages, as a way to preview emails, that kind of stuff. And and with iOS 10, I use it a lot on notifications as well, right? Because to get to a lot of useful stuff, you kind of have to. Um, but yeah, I I never seem to 3D touch my iPad, and it's kind of strange that I don't really. I and I don't use 3D touch very much on my phone because and I, I sort of trained myself out of it because there weren't that many useful things. There are more useful things now, and every now and then I discover something and go, "Oh, I should probably do that more often." I did that uh, actually with the Slack app recently, and I realized the Slack app has 3D touch stuff, and it mm-hmm. lets you switch to a different Slack uh, group and things like that. And I was like, "Oh, I should probably use that more," but um, it's not particularly discoverable. You just have to try to push harder on things and see what happens and i don't know um 
but so my my problem is the opposite, which is I forget to 3D touch on my iPhone. Not that I, um, not that I try to do it on my iPad. Uh, the only place where I even feel it is on notification center notifications, where the workflow is very simple on the iPhone, where you can 3D touch on something, and on the Mac or on on the iPad, you have to like swipe and open and yeah. yeah. Also, the clear all notifications thing on the little X, you force touch that on the iPhone and you can clear all your notifications. I wish the iPad had that. So. Yep. But yeah, I never, it's, it's shown, I, I, it never, I never like trick myself, you know, like realize, oh, you, you, don't be silly. Uh, Logan has written in. Um, Logan is a writer and aspiring podcaster. Um, Logan asks a question. I, I, it always makes me smile when we get these questions if people want us to help them with their purchasing decisions, Jason. Logan wants to know, does, uh, do, do they get a MacBook Pro or a 12.9-inch iPad Pro with an Apple Pencil and also a Mac Mini, which would be the same price as a MacBook Pro? Now, I tell you what, Logan... For me, this is an easy answer, and it is iPad Pro and a Mac Mini, because if you get the Mac Mini, you will be able to do everything, right, with also the benefit of having an iPad, which for me, I know that your mileage may vary on this, dear listener, for me... The iPad Pro is the best mobile computing device available today. Um, I, for the way that I work and for the type of work I like to do, I prefer it to using a Mac laptop because of versatility, because of the apps, and because I don't really bring years and years of Macintosh-based productivity. So when I was building up my own personal workflows, I was doing them with very surface level things on both the Mac and on iOS, so I don't need the command line for things. I wouldn't even know what to do if you told me to do something with the command line, right? Like it's just not a thing that's in my vernacular. So with an iPad Pro, you can get all of the stuff that you want to get done for your basic work and stuff like that. And there is power user work you can do depending on what your bent is, like whatever you're interested in. Especially if you're a writer, I mean, you can really do everything you need to do on an iPad. Um, but then you can use the Mac Mini for podcasting if you want to do that. I mean, there are ways to do this stuff on iOS, but if you want to go with a more simple option there, you can do that. Um, and also with the Mac Mini, you can leave it there and you can use something like uh, screens, like a VNC app. And if you want to, you can use that and go over to the Mac Mini and do other things if you have a processor you want to run. Personally, I think this is a, is a better, more versatile solution because it unlocks you to everything. I mean, of course, a Mac Mini is not that powerful these days, but from the you know the very basic information you're giving me, as long as your Mac Mini has got an SSD in it, I think you're going to be fine. My reluctance here is about the podcasting thing because the podcast stuff is just not all there on the iPad. And uh, the prospect of recording and editing podcasts on a Mac Mini does not thrill me. Um, and so I'm kind of on the fence about this um, because there's much more you can do. I mean, what will the new iPads be? Will there be changes to iOS that will make this more? This might be an easier answer in a year, right? than it is now. I think it may still be a bit early. Um, I, I, we don't have a lot of information here. Like I would hate to live life without having an iPad, but if I literally had to choose Mac or iPad, 
I think I would have to choose Mac because there's just a bunch of things that I have to do on the Mac. Well, sure, and, but and, Logan right? can have best of well, can have he, some no, of both he have, worlds. He can have he can have a good iPad and a really really compromised Mac. Now, if he's already got a monitor and keyboard and everything for the Mac Mini, and he could just like swap out an older Mac with a Mac Mini and use that there, then that maybe changes the equation a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. It depends. It's sort of like what I said about the keyboards. It really depends on what your use cases are. I think the safest thing to do would be to get a MacBook Pro. But, you know, my story would probably be different in a year. We'll see. I mean, a Mac Mini is totally fine for a podcast, like for recording and editing a show. I mean, it's totally fine. It's going to be slow in places, but, like, you can really get it done on that. Like, you don't need the, a new MacBook Pro to, to if, if the main Mac thing you're doing is recording and editing a podcast. That's the answer, I think, uh, in, a, in a nutshell, is how much do you need, do you want an iPad and how much do you want a Mac? Because you can get a really fast Mac or you can get a slow Mac, but it'll do the job and an iPad. And that's way more flexible, I, I will grant you. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Or get a MacBook <laughs> and an iPad. I don't know. Even I'm not sure. Peripherals. Yeah. yeah. Your world will be full of peripherals of those two devices. It's true. Lucas wants to know what model of Wacom tablet I use. Um, I don't do any graphics work, but I use a Wacom tablet as my input method because it's more comfortable for me. I use the Intuos Pro, um, and there are a couple of different sizes for this. Um, I use the medium-sized model, uh, but there is a small and a large, and and basically it's you know you get a obviously a bigger tablet size. Um, and you also get more function buttons on the larger ones. So uh, yeah, I guess that you're, you're, it's dependent on what you're looking for there, how much desk space you have. Um, obviously, the bigger it is, the more you will have to move your arm around. So that's up to you. But uh, I really recommend it. And I will say to anyone, if you've never used the Wacom for input before and you're interested in trying it out, there are there are a couple of things that you need to know. Uh, Gray taught me this before I started using it. There is one setting that you, you really should follow, which is, it seems strange at first, but it will really make you feel better. Um, in the mapping section, you want to make it pen mode, because then what it does is it maps it one-to-one. So the top left of the tablet is the top left of your screen, etc., as opposed to mouse mode, which follows kind of the way that a mouse would, where kind of wherever you put the tablet, let your pen over the tablet, the cursor starts from there, and then you move it, right? Like, if you put your finger on the top right of your trackpad, it doesn't take the pointer to the top right of the screen. The pointer just stays where it is, and your movement starts from that point. But that's not that's not really the best way to use a, a a pen tablet. Really, you should be kind of mapping the screen. So if you do that, like the the bigger the tablet, the more you'll be moving your arm around. But whilst it feels weird at first, it is it is totally the best way to use one of these devices. The other thing that I would say is, if you do want to do this and you don't like it at first, just try and live with it for a couple of days, like because it really at first feels like something you don't enjoy. But after you kind of live with it for a couple of days, you learn how to use the device. 
I would never go back to to a mouse now. Um, and I use a trackpad and a, and a, a Wacom. I use them for different things. But for my general kind of just using a computer, mousing around interface, um, I use a Wacom because it's more comfortable for me. Uh, last up today, Jay has asked, when we record our show via Skype, as Jason mentioned earlier on in the show that we record via Skype, do we uh, do video or just audio? Uh, we do just audio. Yes. And that I way you am... don't have to see my pajamas. <laughs> well, it's, it's you in your pajamas is, is not... I, I'm not too worried about that. Um, we've shared a room together. I've seen you in pajamas. That's um, true. My main thing is if the show is intended to be consumed as audio, then we should just only hear each other is my thinking. Because whenever there is video involved, it is very... Uh, easy for if I'm describing something to Jason for me to just show it to him and then I yeah. don't do a good enough job of describing it for our audio listeners or use body mind. language or yeah. facial expressions to get it across it's a natural part of how humans communicate and if you can see other people you start trying to communicate in that way and it's very hard I mean we've I think we mentioned this before but like being on one of the twitch shows you have that a lot where I think the bulk of their listeners are still listeners and not viewers and even the people who are watching on video I suspect a lot of them are not avidly watching the screen they've got it on in a, a window or a corner or something but they're mostly listening and you in on those shows you very quickly um start to think that everybody can see you because there are monitors all around you and people are you know and and people are producing it for video and it leads to things that i will say and then i'll think to myself nobody listening is going to understand what i just did because they can't see me even though you know i know that there's a video version so it's it's dangerous to even people who've been doing this a while to start getting in that mode of um of visuals. And even if we had a video version of this show, which I would hate because I would have to get up early on Monday morning and, and make myself presentable. Um, but uh, it would be, even if we did it that way, I think it would hurt the audio version because we would start to make assumptions about visuals that weren't accurate. All right, that wraps up this week's show. If you want to find our show notes today, go to relay.fm. Oh, Jason just turned his video on. Uh, he's now waving at Hi. me, everybody. See, uh, this is what happens. It's a disaster when we do video. Disaster. He's wearing an orange Giants t-shirt. It's a yeah, t-shirt. It's not a jersey. No, not a jersey. Here's the interesting thing right now is I am looking into your eyes, but you can't see that because I'm just looking no. at my screen. No, um, I'm looking into your eyes too, but it's just an icon. It's yeah, just well, your I've uh, turned, avatar. I've turned my video on for you now so you don't feel alone. In oh this. my God, this is a disaster. Look, this podcast is ruined now. It's ruined forever. Uh, Look, I see your Amazon box right there. (laughs) Relay.fm slash upgrade slash 126 for our show notes today. Thanks again to our sponsors, the fine folk over at Encapsula, Blue Apron, and FreshBooks. If you want to find Jason online, he's at sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. And he is at jsnell on Twitter, J-S-N-E-L-L. And I am at imike, I-M-Y-K. E, we'll be back next time. Don't forget, hashtag AskUpgrade if you have any questions for us to answer on the show. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snell. I'm waving. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>